Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your host, Blaine Bartlett. And folks, we've got an interesting show today. Uh, I first had my guest, uh, you know, that you're going to meet here in just a moment, uh, uh, on a, uh, another show that I do with uh, my very good friend and partner, uh, David Meltzer. Um, we had him on our Office Hours uh, live program uh, a couple of months back, about a month and a half ago, actually, uh, back. And I absolutely loved not only what this man was talking about, but how he was showing up. And when you, you know, begin to get a little bit better sense of you know, who he is you know, through my introduction and then through the conversation, you'll understand what I'm talking about here. There is just a resonance here with uh, what you know, Thane Lowry is up to and what I'm about and what I'm looking forward to seeing happen as the... Uh, as as life unfolds in front of us here. Um, now, that's a little amorphous and it's a little abstract and you're going to get a little bit more granularity as we start talking. Um, my guest today is uh, Thane Lowry um, and he's got a new book out that I want to be sure that we really dive into. It's called The Buddhist CEO. And it, uh, I mean, it literally has just come out. Uh, December 22 was the uh, the launch date, December of this last year. Uh, it's a modern spiritual story about a CEO who tries to lead his company through the lens of being a committed Buddhist. And for those of you that may confuse Buddhism with religion, they're not the same thing. Buddhism is not a religion. It's a way of living. It's a way of being. And Thane embodies this in some very profound ways. Um, and the book, you know, and he'll correct me if I'm off base on this, but it, it really is almost an autobiographical <laughs> exploration of, of his journey. And I say autobiography uh, in, in quotations here because it's not a true autobiography in that sense, but it is really pulling from his experience as a CEO that has um, basically taken an organization that was uh, you know, just stepped from the graveyard and completely <laughs> turned them around to the point where they became and are con- you know, currently one of the top 100 companies in the UK to work for. Uh, it's an amazing success story. And the mechanism, and I'll use the word very loosely here, the mechanism by which he accomplished this, this feat uh, is the, the source uh, material for the book. So Thane, I want to welcome you to the show. And it's just an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much, Blaine. And uh, it's a pleasure to be here too. And Thank you for that wonderful and beautiful introduction. I just hope I can do it justice. I'll, I'll certainly try my best. <laughs> well, I have no doubt about that. You know, yeah, in the uh, the office hours chat that we had, uh, you know, with David, um, I was just struck by a couple of things that you were highlighting. And this was before I got to know you and you know, did some research on the book and whatnot. Can you tell me a little bit about your specific journey? And there's, there's two pieces to it here. Um, and one of them has to do with your journey into Buddhism. You've been practicing Buddhist for 20 some odd years now. Um, but also how you kind of what came to mind here about how you actually matriculated that life style, that way of being into your approach to business. And then I'm going to come back and ask a question about the soul of business. Uh, but I want to kind of get this horse in front of that cart, if you will before we begin here. So 
I'll just kind of turn the floor over to you here real quick and uh, to, to talk a little bit about your journey and then we'll delve into the, the book. Okay, thank you. Well, I've written this book called The Buddhist CEO, but in many ways I was actually the accidental CEO. I had uh, joined a, a company called Scarf and I joined it as a senior manager really in charge of most of the operations. Uh, Incredibly, after I'd been there for four months, the, the CEO um, sadly passed away unexpectedly. And it's a long story there, but let's just cut it short. I ended up being asked to be the CEO. So I wasn't necessarily looking for that at that time in my life. And uh, the company was in a bit of difficulty, and I really wondered, is it the right thing to do? And one of the reasons for thinking, is it the right thing to do? was that I'd been a Buddhist for about 20 years and uh, I've got a lot from Buddhism. And just as a, and a very rough introduction to that, living a mindful life, a peaceful life, meditating, trying to be compassionate, is how I would sum up living as a Buddhist. And uh, I just wondered, is this compatible with being a CEO? And um, I wasn't really sure, and maybe now I'm still not really sure, but it can certainly be done. But anyway, after much soul searching and talking to my wife and family, I decided to take on the role of the CEO. Now, Scarf's a not-for-profit organization, and um, it didn't have a lot of money, so I couldn't throw money at everything just to fix things. So to fix things, I had to think of innovative ways to do it. And I could, I could tell there was a, a morale issue. Um, Scarf is a good organization with good people. It just it just felt lacked a lot of direction. It was losing it was losing money. The services that we offered weren't performing as well as it could do. There was low morale amongst the staff. So I kind of in, I kind of decided to try and lead like a Buddhist CEO. And I suppose the fundamentals of that were: could we treat people well? And if we treat people well, and introduce this idea of um, trying to strive towards having a world class culture. Now, whether we ever did have a world-class culture, you could debate, but we certainly had a very good culture. Just using that language just raised people's aspirations. Yeah, so we, so we just introduced a whole number of things we could get into if you wanted to do that very quickly raised people's morale. And as morale was lifted, the services that we delivered started to improve. And then we also started to win new contracts and new pieces of work. And we, oh, I think we trebled our um, the turnover of the business fairly quickly. And we got into the, we, we actually entered the, the uh, an award scheme in the UK called the Top 100 Companies to Work For in the UK. And we actually entered that as an attempt to measure our culture because uh, I was quite keen to try and measure that because I can think, oh, we've got a good culture, but do we really have a good culture? So part of that award, the Sunday Times Top 100 um, Companies to Work For, they asked detailed questions of staff in about 10 different sections. I don't know if I can remember them all, but they asked about the leadership of the company. They asked about their manager. They asked about their terms and conditions. They asked about how they're treated, the, the, pack, the package at work, the atmosphere at work, etc. And so you get a score and you, on all these different things. You can track it over time to see if you've gone up, down. And it allows you to see that staff maybe think the company's very good in certain areas, but maybe poor in other areas. And it allows you to identify those areas. And when we first entered the competition, we never actually thought we'd ever again to thought 100, but we did. And we were, I think the highest we ever were was 30th. And we're usually somewhere between 30th and 50, 55, 56. 
But yeah, and one of the pleasing things about that award is or being placed in the top 100, it's solely based on anonymous staff surveys, not based on what I can say as a CEO can you know, sell a nice story sort of thing about the company. So it's actually based on anonymous staff. So the, the, that's how I got into being a CEO. I try to bring the Buddhism, the Buddhism into it. I didn't necessarily talk about Buddhism at work. Uh, I didn't hide it either. But, you know, I just try to bring that sort of compassionate sort of um, ideal of trying to treat people well and they will do a good, a good job for you. So, uh, that, and, that, and that really is what was intriguing to me. And, uh, you know, regular listeners of the show know that I wrote a book, you know, it's over my right shoulder here, uh, Compassionate Capitalism, you know, A Journey to the Soul of Business. And I've got the book. I've got the book, just so you know, and I'm reading it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, magic. Good. Thank you. Um, the idea of the soul of business. Now, Scarf, you know, like you said, I mean, the CEO had uh, unfortunately passed and you were you know, looking into a, in essentially a void here. I mean, the, the, the organization was uh, scrabbling, trying to keep itself uh, uh, both relevant and viable. Um, in the context of the soul of business, and, and I don't mean soul in a religious sense here. No, you know, the, Greeks, no. the Greeks define soul as that, you know, that uh, enlivening part of anything, that thing that gives it presence. You know, yeah, whether it's a tree, a rock, or a business, that thing that gives the rock its presence, give the uh, yeah. organization its presence. When you hear the soul of business, or just that phrase, given the journey that you undertook with Scarf and are under in the midst of, what does that mean for you to, to tap into the soul of the business? Yeah. Well, I actually, the start of your book, I actually identified a lot of the things you say at the start of the book. But um, for me, the bit I identify with your book and what I think is the soul of business is it's got to be about more than making money. Now, I'm not against making money, but it's <laughs> got to be more than just making money. And I just... I don't know, I, I just have a sense of the people I've most admired in business. And maybe out with business to some degree. Uh, and by that, I mean some of the monks I've met and listened to their teachings of Buddhism, and, or even from other religions, uh, spiritual people I can be influenced by them. But the people I've admired the most in business, there's always been a point to what they're doing. And there's always been a, it's always been more than just making money, although making money has been part of it, and they, may, they maybe enjoyed that. So... So part of that has got to be about creating something that does delivers a fantastic service for other people, essentially. Your customer, that makes some difference to their individual lives for their company. Or in Scar's case, a lot of the stuff we did was actually helping com other companies or individuals to sort of improve their use of energy, actually, you know, to be um, more efficiently and save money for some people or make companies more efficient around that. But, and also, I just felt for our own staff. I mean, we want to make it a place where you come in and it's not like drudgery or, you know, people are sitting on a Sunday night dreading coming in. I just wanted to make it a bit more vibrant. It had to be more than that. People wanted to come in and work for SCAR. That was my, my aim anyway. And most people have been saying that was true. There's always some, some of it that they don't get on board. But I just felt, I feel, I feel like you, I feel the soul of business has got to be about more than that. I think companies should contribute to the community somehow, you know, whether that's, Supporting local charities, employing people maybe uh, from different backgrounds, or giving people a chance—that sort of thing. I just, and that, something like that's exciting. 
at the same time is, is, is running a company that makes money, does well. That's exciting too. But also, I just feel like that soul is it's a bit more than that. That's great. You know, and I say that's great in the sense that it sounds, I mean, this idea of contributing, you know, making a difference in the, in the community that you're a part of. Um, people that, you know, say they want to come to work with you. And in, in this is kind of a, well, it's a question that I think I know the answer to, but I want to answer, ask it anyway here, because I think there's a way that you do this that is interesting. Um, they... Okay, I'll, I'll put it in my in, in in my phraseology here. When people begin to get a sense that I can, yeah, that I get to do, be, or have something that I value as a consequence of working here, that I wouldn't get if I didn't work here. Uh, it's it's that personal link to the organization's mission, the personal link to the organization's activities that gets me out of bed in the morning and says, I want to go there because I, I not only you know, achieve the organization's goals and objectives, but I also get something very personal for me as a consequence of that. Yeah. Um, and it, it traces all the way back to treating people well. Uh, how have you set it up, assuming that you have, either intentionally or unintentionally, for people to begin to identify that what's in it for me element yeah. that is at the same time selfish but also altruistic mm -hmm. yeah yeah the way we try to set that up was trying to um i suppose maybe two two kind of different ways one was to try and get people to buy into the whole mission of the of the organization the values of the organization so very early on we involved staff in actually developing the values of the company and the staff felt they were part of that. And obviously, newer staff weren't part of that, but we try, try and make sure they're aware of the values of the company. We also have them on the wall in quite a lot of the, the, the boardroom and some of the meeting rooms, the values. And we have them on the, their computer screen when it's when they open up in the morning, it has its a scarf value. And we also, doing some of the surveys when we, when we measure culture and things like that, we found out that people weren't, wanted to work for scarf because it made a difference in the community. This is the kind of work that we do. And so we try, often people, when we first started to analyze that data as well, weren't sure what the company was doing. So they were doing their, their little job, their own, their own part of the company, but they weren't quite sure the overall difference we were making. So when we started to find that out, we realized that was important to people. So we started holding regular um, meetings, all staff, I mean, we didn't meet each other. There are different, three or four different, well, three different offices, and people came together and um, from different parts of Northeast Scotland. And we, we shared success stories, the successes of different um, services within the company, and the difference that had made. So doing this has helped ten thousand people, you know, reduce their energy use, or helped so many companies reduce this, reduce this amount of carbon overall in the world. And a lot of people felt that, um, you know, felt good that they'd, they'd put a part in, in making this happen. And we also try to remind people as well, although we didn't have a lot of money, we always try to pay people at the highest rate we could or be in the highest um, range with, against our competitors. But we also try to bring in a range of um, things that didn't cost money to make it good. And we also reminded people of that because they just got used to having all these packages. So we brought in things like uh, things that are really simple that made a huge difference on an individual level. 
things like people could nominate people for a, an over an over and above award at any time. So somebody in the company who did something um, drove her above a day job, they could put a letter in, and they, they would get if they were agreed that they'd done something that was over and above, they would get a bottle of champagne and a, and a, a sort of money for a, a meal of an restaurant of their choice. Something simple, but we get we gave out quite a lot of them. And it just allowed people to feel, yeah, something, something, something good's happening here. And we had a few of the little quirky things. We gave people their birthday off, paid, and we had scarf time as well. I think I told you about that maybe before, where we gave people a half a day a month paid to do something in the community. It had to be like a community volunteering and, you know, they had to go and actually do it when, they're, when they were off work. So little things like that, with a staff barbecue, and we had a staff away day, and we just did little things, we went ice skating on away day, the whole team, and we did curling, which is like a, a sport on ice, I don't know if you've got it in Canada, I'm not sure they've got it in the States. Um, yeah. just made, it just made it a fun place to be, and we tried to do things like, we chose a charity each year that we raised money for, even though we were a charity ourselves, and we're, we're all sorts of different or bake-offs, bake it's a big thing in the UK, is a, a famous programme called the Bake Off. People people bake different things and they, start, they vote who's the best one. And there was always different little little things going on every 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 month and every week. There was some sort of fun thing. It just made it fun to come in. So so we tried to put a package in place for people. It, you know, it wasn't all about remuneration. It was about you know them giving some an opportunity, giving them an opportunity to give something back to their own community. And we also had the, the overall arching values of the, of the company and letting people know where we were going as a business. Yeah, that I mean, the, the I want to come back to that. I love this description and I want to focus in on the values as a mechanism here that enables some of this other stuff. We're going to take a real quick break. When we come back from the break, I'm going to have uh, Thane just kind of outline uh, what are the core values and then behaviorally, how have they been implemented into the organization in a way that is now part of the culture. It's, it, it, has, it has become habituated. So um, talking to Thane Laurie, and we'll be right back after this little brief announcement. The nature of life is evidenced in nature. Nature grows, and all of nature honors the desire to be more, to have more, and to do more. Life thrives when it's allowed to grow. And ideally, thriving is what we also, all of us, want to be able to do. Unfortunately, at some stage in life, most people find themselves settling into what I can only call a rut. And a rut is nothing more than a coffin with the ends kicked out. You want to quickly get out of any rut that you find yourself in. When you stop growing, that's when the coffin starts to appear. You know, the simple truth is this, and this is true for everything in nature. You're going to die. I'm going to die. Every one of us dies. So the question we need to come to grips with is not are we going to die. The question nature asks us to answer is are we truly living? That's what motivation is about. It's the desire to move. It's the desire to grow and to excel. Have I lived? How have I lived? I'd love for you to take advantage of my Leadership Mindset Masterclass. It's all about providing you with the tools to ensure thriving for yourself and for those around you. Register today to receive the free introduction video and find out more about this acclaimed program. 
You'll also receive a copy of my international number one bestseller, Compassionate Capitalism, A Journey to the Soul of Business. I'm Blaine Bartlett, and I look forward to helping you thrive. Welcome back. Uh, Thane, before we took a break, I had uh, mentioned that what I wanted to do was unbundle the values core of of, uh, SCARF. And you had just described um, having people connect their personal job to the impact of the organization's undertakings. So I may be isolated over here in a silo, but if I've got a link back to we're really making a difference here. And that contribution, so impact, contribution start to come into play here. Uh, Fun, yeah, have this be an enjoyable place. All of these are kind of consequences of a focus on the values that the organization uh, not only espouses, but practices. So real quick, if you could just tell me what, what are the core values and then I want to play with that a little bit because this is something that every organization has, our values. Uh, but in my experience, a lot of times it's just artwork on the wall and they're not operationalized. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they're, it's just kind of on a little tab that somebody gives an uh, employee when they come in and it gets put in the wallet. And I say, what are the values? And they got, got it right here. I'm sitting on them. Yeah, yeah they're, not, they're not actually operationalized. So what are your core values? And then we'll, we'll kind of you know, explore this a little bit. Okay. We act with integrity. We pursue excellence. And we lead. Just three simple, simple values. Yep. Because we felt that if you have a lot more than that, people forget them. They get lost. So it was the idea was it was going to be very simple. Mm-hmm. But they're on the wall, as you say, because I also thought it was important that people forget them as well. They're on their computer screen as well. How we try to bring them bring them in is that we, um, I think, if you, went, if you went back in time, people wouldn't have known what the values were. And um, the kind of things we've done over time was, we, it took time to build, to build this up. So when people do their annual appraisal, part of their annual appraisal asks them against the values, what they've done to sort of uh-huh. to show they've exemplified that. We also brought in training for the managers. We're bringing an external trainer. And part of that training is, is talking about them, the values, trying to make sure they understand the values. So going through scenarios. So we've got coach, coaches for our senior staff. And we've had that that's going down to our middle managers as well. We've also developed some training for the, the frontline staff as well. So when they're on board the frontline staff, we go through the values. I've talked about that. Um, but we try and go through scenarios with the managers and senior managers. If certain situations arise, how would we deal with that? And it's always, how would it be in line with our values? Yep. And uh, I'd like to think if you did ask everybody what the values were, they would say they know them. Would everybody say, absolutely, this is, the live, no, this is, how, no, this is how we, exactly what we're trying to do with them? But there'd be a pretty good understanding of them, I think, you know? And... Um, I think that's fairly good. <laughs> yeah. I think Andy tells you it's absolutely perfect. Is uh, is probably you know kidding themselves really, but there is a real attempt to try and say this is the kind of organisation we are, um, and we go through scenarios. So there's things like, I think when I first came in, if I'm absolutely honest, you know, even collating data, how we sell ourselves to other companies. I've always said we never ever lie, for example. 
So if we fail Sunday, Sunday, so we, we run contracts on behalf of the Scottish government, UK government, for example. So if we ever, if we ever don't hit a target, we tell them, if we miss that target by a mile, we're absolutely honest. We, we are, and it's up to us to fix, find the, find the resolution. So just, just tell everybody, we, 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 we try to do our best. And if we, if we fail on a certain target, we, we're all honest. Just the kind of organization we are. And I really feel that has come through to some degree because as we turned the company around sort of seven years ago, it's more, more than that now, eight or nine years ago now, but um, external companies would say to us things like, um, we can see the difference in you. And they, they could just tell we're trying to live by the values. It doesn't mean to say we'll get everything right because there's certain things we still you know, failed on. If you deliver a complex contract, there's always going to be things that we hit most of the targets, we don't hit them all. People admire the fact we would say, well, actually, but no, I haven't got that right. We're working on that. That's just what we're going to be doing. So, yeah, it has, it has been embodied. I mean, I'm, I'm not foolish enough to say, I always think, that even at a company like Scarf, most people come with you. I've got really keen people. I've got people that sort of, you know, like it. And there's some people, there's always a smaller group don't come on board as well. So to be, be lying to say it's just like Shangri-La and everything's perfect, because I don't think that's the case. But, there's no doubt that changing the culture, I believe, yeah. was the catalyst for changing the overall finances of the company, the, the services that we delivered. It was people felt listened to, they felt they had a bit of a say over the company. Um, yeah, because that's one of the first things I did. I, I started listening to people as well because there were some things that infuriated staff and maybe sounds simplistic, but the IT didn't work as well as it should do. The vehicles they drove to appointments just didn't look nice, you know. We changed these things very quickly. Even they, that, even that allowed them to think, hang on, somebody's listening now. Somebody's listening. Yeah. 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 You know, that listening piece is, I cannot emphasize to the listeners how important listening is from a leadership perspective. Uh, not telling, but listening. And I was mm -hmm. struck by, you know, when you started, you know, codifying the value core of the company, the invitation that you tendered to the people in the organization to be a part of this. You know, let's co-create these yeah. values. And then as a consequence of that co-creation, we can hold everybody literally accountable for the execution around these values because you were a part of it. You, you, you yeah. helped define these. And there's you know, some, some not just some, there's a lot of power in that that I think is not tapped very frequently by many organizations. Uh, that listening piece, um, which, yeah, yeah, you, you want to say something here. So go ahead. Yeah, no, I really agree with you on listening because I feel as a CEO, that's one of the hardest things to do is to listen. Yeah. Because quite often when you listen, the answer you get isn't what you want to hear. <laughs> In my experience, you know, even, you know, you know even though you're doing your best and really trying, it's, You've got to really, to really listen. And as a story always sticks in my mind, I'm not an expert on this. You might be actually, but um, lean methodology. Somebody was, we did a thing where we used lean methodology in a previous um, job I was in. And the person who was leading us through this exercise told us that the, the, the Japanese guy, it was the guy who founded Toyota, founded lean methodology. But apparently he used to walk around Toyota in its early days asking his managers, were the three things that were going wrong in the department because they were all prepared to tell what was going right. He, he wanted to know what was going wrong. I just thought it was a really interesting way to look at the to look at a company. Yeah, 
Yeah, because the folks that are closest to the work, they they know what's going on. Totally. The, you know, I I'm just beginning to outline a new book. Um, business is a spiritual discipline, and its corollary, leadership, is a spiritual discipline. And I'm not looking at this through the lens of religion or anything mm -hmm. else. It's, it's more along, you know, basically your story in, in many senses here uh, about a way of being that gets translated into a way of doing that. Uh, is always in play, but it's about being intentional with it this time. So in your journey, and this will be the last question I've got for you here. Yeah. Has this in fact enhanced your experience of the spiritual nature of life for you? Yes. Yes, it has. Yeah, it has. I think, um, I think being a leader, Maybe it's a cliche. It's quite. It is a privilege to be put in this position where you're. I suppose you're in charge of this organisation. It's finances. It's people. It's buildings. You're in charge of everything. And um, one of the things that struck me though, it's made me realise how difficult it is actually. Um, how leadership is. It's although I've been successful at it, I've never really found it easy. Um, one of the chapters in my book is actually called the Fellowship of the CEOs. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the things, the main character, he says that in the book that he found it difficult to open up when he was struggling. So he felt he was there. And I suppose I felt this in my own life, that it was hard for me to walk in and say, I'm struggling today, but I'm just human like everybody else. Because I felt I was, you know, I, if I didn't walk in smiling, I wasn't upbeat, how could I expect anybody else to be? So I think it's, it's, it's taught me about humanity. And in the book, The Fellowship of the CEOs, it's just a group that he creates of other CEOs. They agree to come together and formally actually put there because they all feel the same way. They all feel they can't yeah. share things with their board or their chairman or their senior staff because they want to be the example that they want to be. And I, and I think it's quite right in some ways, but they find this fellowship amongst others. So, in some ways, I suppose it's the answer to your question, it's a long winded answer that <laughs> maybe maybe feel more human, you know, that, that yeah, I've, I've recognized my potential, but I've recognized my frailties too, you know. Felt more human. Yeah, I mean, I love that answer. It made me feel more human. And if business can't be, it is a human enterprise, but if it yeah. doesn't feel human, uh, and if I'm a cog in a wheel and a replaceable part, an asset that gets you know, depreciated over time or a resource that gets used, none of those are human in their, you know, in, in yeah. the way that we typically think about it. So. Um, where can people get, I mean, I'm assuming Amazon or the regular yeah. channels for the book, uh, the Buddhist CEO, now, where can people get that uh, directly from you, I'm assuming, if they wanted to? Yeah, I mean, you can get it from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, bookshops should be able to order it if they don't have it. Um, I have a website where you can order it from as well. So it's my name, thanelaurie.com, T-H-A-N-E-L-A-W-R-I-E, thanelaurie.com. And on there, you get access to my social media, Twitter and things, and Facebook and Instagram. I do a daily a daily poem on uh, Twitter if anybody fancies. And you can get all that on, on there. So I do a blog post as well. So people might be interested in that as well. Great. Folks, I can't recommend it enough. These resources are really, really good. Um, Thane, um, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. I know it's a little bit late on your side of the, the planet as we're doing this interview. So I want to thank you for taking the time. 
Folks, we've been listening to Thane Laurie. Uh, I am Blaine Bartlett. This is the Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. Uh, check out my website, blainebartlett.com. And um, there's some stuff there that I think that you will, if you're interested in uh, being a more effective leader, uh, that you will find uh, useful in that journey. So until next time, uh, keep, uh, keep yourself focused and find yourself ways to be acting, acting as a center of distribution, not as a center of accumulation you'll find that your life works much better from that perspective. Take care. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.